You're listening to Bloom After Baby, the podcast. We're your hosts, Rachel Daggett and Jen Jordan. We're a therapist and a doctor and and both moms of two. We're here to discuss the mental health and wellness needs that are unique to motherhood. From confusing hormone swings to your expanding body to boundaries in tricky relationships, we'll give you the information you need to experience motherhood in a way that feels good to you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get to it. Today's episode, Jen and I are finally getting a chance to record together. We are here today to talk about mom rage. It's something that we both have had close experiences with personally in postpartum. And we also have some insights on from psychological and physiological standpoints. So we are here to share it all with you and hopefully help demystify some of it for you other mamas. So Jen and I had a conversation a few months back on the phone, kind of before we had fully jumped into all of our work with Bloom After Baby. And we were just connecting about our postpartum experiences with our both of our seconds. And I remember Jenny, as she always does, was just so empathically curious, like, how are you really doing, Rachel? And I think that morning or a couple of days prior, I'd had a pretty intense episode of what I later realized was mom rage. And I shared that with her because she's one of my safe people. And then she, you know, kind of giggled and then shared a very similar experience that she had had recently. And it was such a good conversation. It was so validating, I think, for both of us. And we kind of processed through what had been happening for each of us respectively. And I think it was one of the main conversations that really catalyzed us doing this work and jumping in with Bloom After Baby because we realized that we had so much personally and professionally to offer and just like bringing our heads together was so helpful for for us and for each other personally. And yeah, it was kind of a pivotal conversation. So we wanted to come on today and kind of share what each of those personal experiences were for us, however exposing they may feel, but hopefully can validate some of you and, like I said, demystify what this actually is when it comes up. So, Jenny, do you mind sharing with us all what this mom rage episode looked like for you and when this happened for you? Yes, I'm excited too. And yeah, I would just emphasize it was definitely one of our kind of revolutionary conversations moments because. It was the first time that I think either of us really had a name for this. Mom rage was a term that was pretty new to both of us. And so experiencing it at the time, I absolutely was not using that language as my own internal dialogue. So talking through it was, yeah, the first time I think we put a name to it and it started to kind of make sense a little bit. So I'll give a little background first, give a little context for my story. I have, as most of you might know now, I have a toddler and a baby. And at the time, toddler was about 20 months old. And I think my newborn was about six weeks old. And I have a really great support system. I have a supportive husband. I live close to family. So had a lot of great support through my postpartum experience. And it was pretty, you know, pretty typical, I would say, kind of uneventful the first few weeks, but the first few weeks with my, my second daughter. So yeah, we're going back to the birth of my second daughter about six weeks into postpartum. And I remember around that time is when I really started to experience some significant 
burnout and overwhelm. I think what was going on at the time is my 20-month-old had started school and was kind of struggling with that transition. And then my six-week-old was starting to have one of the many sleep regressions. I think she'd had some digestive issues at the time. And so, you know, thinking back, I think I'm factoring in things like, you know, more sleep deprivation, definitely more just kind of constant overstimulation, lots of crying and things like that. And so I remember being kind of pushed to the limits around this time. And and when you get to that place, you just are really like living for those naps and those little breaks. And so when you're anticipating a nap or a moment of downtime coming, I think we all can relate to how you really build that up and are like just pushing through until you know you're going to have that that moment. And so I remember this day very clearly that my toddler was at school in the morning and my six-week-old, I had just gotten her down for a nap. It had been a rough morning. It had been a rough night as far as sleep. Just gotten her down for a nap. And I was so excited to take a shower, take a really quick shower. And then I was going to sit on the couch and I was going to watch some Bravo. I, I'm definitely a Bravo junkie. Hadn't watched it much at all during the postpartum period. So I had this whole relaxing moment in my mind. And I even had an outfit for it. My sister had gotten me this really great robe and these socks that like I hadn't worn any of my cute cozy stuff in postpartum yet. So I was excited to take a shower and put on new cozy clothes. And so I'm walking over to the bathroom and have my cozy outfit in my hands. I'm about to go take my shower. And I hear that that noise, that crackle of the baby monitor and my newborn's waking up. So I listen for a moment, look down and she's kind of, you know, wiggling around. And then all of a sudden like breaks into full blown, blown cries. I know like she's not putting herself back to sleep. And at that moment, I kind of grayed out. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, I remember swinging around and I was right next to the bathroom door and I was right next to our diaper pail, swing around and I just kick the garbage pail with all, I'm an ex-D1 soccer player, right? So I can kick stuff. I kick this this diaper pail, send it flying, and it's one of those metal ones, send it flying across the room into the wall, bashes against the wall, dent the whole side of the garbage pail dent the wall. No one's there. No one's there to see this. I'm not anywhere near my daughter's room. And I'm just like in shock. I don't even remember what happened after that. I'm sure I was crying or screaming or both. But it was so out of character. And and yeah, I hadn't experienced anything like that before. So I just stand there for a moment. Then, you know, I'm sure just kind of go into the normal automatic pilot, go get my daughter, and it turns into a normal day. But that was the first time I'd had like a explosive physical manifestation of of this rage and anger I'd screamed into lots of pillows and and had moments where I felt you know that kind of warm tingling sensation when the anger is boiling up but I'd never like had a physical outburst like that that just felt so uncontrollable and then after that you have that cascade of embarrassment I'm, I told my husband about it later because the diaper pail on the wall were dented but I'm sure otherwise I would have kept it to myself and yeah, I mean, you're full of shame. You feel like I felt like I couldn't control myself, kind of a little bit worried, like, you know, thankfully no one was around, but I wouldn't want to do anything like that in front of my my kids. And so, yeah, I really started kind of exploring the experience. And that was not the only experience. There was lots of other outbursts after that. But that's when I started recognizing that I'm feeling these feelings that are intense and come on out of nowhere and were really different from anything I'd experienced before. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you was what at the time 
what your inner dialogue was about it. Because like, obviously, when it when it happened, and for some time after you weren't able to zoom out yet and see it objectively. So when you were subjectively in that moment, and you you alluded to a cascade of shame and guilt and all that, like, what do you remember your inner dialogue being at the time about what ha- had happened? Yeah, I remember with that moment and moments after always feeling like, okay, I lost control. I'm maybe pushed to the max. And if I can just get a little more rest or a little more balance, do a little bit better job of calming myself down in these moments, then I'm going to have it handled. You know, I'm going to get I'm going to get on top of it. And it was always like, this is something that I just need to hold in a little bit better and and I'm going to be back on track. Yeah. Okay. And, and so certainly like seeing it as as a flaw or as mm-hmm. as myself not handling that situation well that I should have that should have been within my control. Yeah. Yeah. So I do hear maybe a tiny, tiny tinge of grace there that like, okay, I I lost control, but I can do better, right? Like there's a little hint at least of trying to give yourself some grace there, but but definitely overarchingly, yeah, this thought around it being something you had done wrong and you needed to needed to do better and needed to like what stands out to me the most is that you needed to hold it in more and like learn how to not let that out. And versus it being like, okay, something isn't working and it not being a reflection of, of you and who who you are and what kind of mother you are. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one thing I recognized too was like I judged that behavior and I judged that outburst, but I wasn't really looking at the big picture where there were many moments throughout the day that I wanted to throw things and wasn't. And so one at one point I remember this it wasn't this incident, but I think it was probably after I yelled or threw something else or something. I remember one point in postpartum, my husband saying to me, You can't even control yourself. And it was like one of the most difficult comments I can recall during that period because I thought I'm controlling myself 95% of the day. And if I threw the TV remote or whatever, you didn't see the other million times today, I was controlling myself. And so again, like looking at those behaviors as this was out of control, but not really recognizing, wait a minute, I'm having these really intense feelings off and on all throughout the day, what is going on and kind of not doing a good job you know, I was separating those moments too much. Like, oh, that was an error mm-hmm. and not really looking at the big picture of this is this is a feeling that's constant. This is happening all throughout the day. Yeah, yeah. So I will take up that comment with Eric later offline, but <laughs> kidding. But this, I think, is like a good conversation that eventually maybe we can have with our better halves about like the dialogue that can happen in couples when things like this start coming up. For postpartum women. But one of my questions was going to be, how did he respond and what was his reaction when he saw the trash, the dented trash can? And how did that conversation go? Oh, man. Yeah. Tell you the truth. I don't even remember. I don't remember him being shocked. I think at the time, like I was having other moments of outbursts and stuff, but it, it, it certainly wasn't with the type of compassion he typically you know, demonstrates to me in other ways. And I think he really didn't understand. Neither of us understood it at the moment. I, I don't recall there being a lot of compassion and sensitivity for either of us around those moments mm-hmm. at that time. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there is some, some, I think, grace and compassion we can extend to our partners there too, because Eric was also postpartum with a six week old newborn. And, and although the, you know, the, the skills are tipped and it's not an equal experience by any means, everyone's kind of at the end of their rope at that point. So it's all, yeah. it's all learning for all of us. And I would add to that, too. I think that was part of our perspective, too, is that like it was situational and that, you know, I tied it to and even in my story just now, I kind of tied it to like this moment of situational overwhelm and burnout. And that absolutely was when the tipping points were. But what I didn't recognize was the underlying physiology of it, the underlying state that my mind and body were in and that these tipping points absolutely were some of the worst moments, but that I was actually, and I guess, spoiler alert, like in, you know, a postpartum anxiety type of state. And so I wasn't recognizing that Mm -hmm. that itself was like the baseline. Right. And so I was vulnerable to those moments because of of that. Yes. And this, this conversation and how you've been framing it is bringing to mind the, I guess, a broader idea of anger in general and the kind of the problem I have with the approach to the the approach of like traditional anger management therapies. And part of it is because it's addressing the behavior and it's addressing the outbursts and whatever is happening when a person is having this experience of anger or rage, but it's ignoring the whole bigger picture and all of the underlying factors. Like, you know, anger isn't a problem and and this idea of self-control and needing to contain or control the anger or the rage or the outburst is actually, in many cases, what is actually causing it to continue coming up and to explode more and more or to cause even longer chronic issues with anxiety and substance abuse and eating disorders and depression and self-harm and stuff. So it's really needing to to flip this perspective of the self-control not being the piece it needs to be um, focused on, but rather what's going on underneath that's causing this and what can we address that's a deeper issue. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, and I hated that term, hate that term so much, at least as it applies to this, that like self-control is a solution. Self-control stifles the behavior of the feeling and the symptom, but it does not by any means prevent it. And so I could have had all the rage and not kick the garbage can, but I would have still had all the rage. And so, yeah, that idea that self-control was like a solution and admirable and what what I was like working towards was, yeah, not, not the whole picture at all. Yes. And it also, my brain is exploding. It ties into why classic behavioral approaches for discipline are ineffective because if focusing on getting your ch- your child to do the right thing in the moment and to like hold in their their misbehavior or their deviance or what have you um but it's not actually helpful long run and it's really just ca- causing more depression and more long-term issues but stay on track <laughs> I'll tell my story and then we can go a little bit more into, into, you know, the physiological explanations and whatnot. But yeah, so let's see. I'll give context. So at the time when this happened, I had, I don't even remember how, how old my second was. I think maybe a few weeks. 
And then I have a three who he was three years old at the time. And I remember it was a morning. Mornings tend to be the hardest times of day for us around here. And my three year old, I think, was dealing with some separation stuff with having the new baby around and me not being as available to him. And and definitely in his toddler years has gone through really only wanting me to be there when he's upset as the comforter. And we were trying, my husband and I were trying to get him out of the house. And, you know, in those early weeks, you're, you feel like you're just constantly in a feeding position with your newborn. And so I think for me, part of those underlying contributing factors are feeling touched out, feeling needed constantly, and then feeling like, like a, nobody was seeing that experience that I was having and and stepping in. And so I remember, uh, I think I was upstairs in my daughter's room, our baby I was feeding her, trying to get her down for her nap. I had, she must have been a little bit older then because I had some work that I needed to kind of transition my brain into after my son got out of the house for school and after she got down for nap. And I could hear my son, my toddler, having a meltdown about getting in the car, which is commonplace, but um, screaming, screaming for mommy. And my husband and I, we hadn't really had a conversation yet about how we wanted to handle this when he needed me, but I wasn't available. And so he was screaming for me and I heard it. and, uh, And I remember just thinking to myself, like, like Sean just handle it just gotta handle it like I can't be there right like I can't be two places at once and so I finally got Blake down she was asleep and then Sean appears in the doorway he's like he he needs you and I I probably rolled my eyes and passed aggressively like walked past him and went down and as I retell this I'm, I'm hearing so many Parts of the story where I could have done thing, something differently, like to, to get ahead of it. But anyways, I went downstairs. I comforted my son. I, I helped him regulate his feelings. And similar to what you said, I kind of did brown out. And I remember kind of just being like, like, you flip a switch sometimes in motherhood, right? Where you turn off your feelings. And I just went into mom mode of, okay, buddy, you got this. You got to go to school. It's going to be okay. You know mommy's here. Grownups always come back. I'll pick you up a little bit early today. Love you so much. Whatever. Got him a snack. And then I walked upstairs. They left. And I walked into my bathroom and I punched the wall as hard as I could. Freaking hurt. So bad. And it wasn't drywall. So it's funny because like, I feel like I was, I was craving damaging something (laughs) like I was craving this like like I don't know this explosive discharge of what I was feeling and so I remember feeling frustrated that I that I hadn't actually punched a hole in the wall because it wasn't drywall but fucking hurt and in a way the pain I had felt was a little bit shocking so it was so shocking that it kind of shocked me out of this episode I was having and then I just broke down on the floor sobbing and yeah it was I'd never done anything like that before. I tend to really more so be somebody who does suppress my feelings a little bit more. And when I feel angry, I've learned how to channel that with like 
physical movement. But the kicker with postpartum and with these experiences in motherhood, I think is those, a lot of those coping skills get stripped away, right? Because I couldn't just like put on my shoes and go for a run. I couldn't, you know, do what normally maybe I could have done because I had to be home with, with my baby. And then I had to switch into work mode. So I think another piece of it for me is like having to wear all these hats and constantly being needed and not having like a really feeling like you really have a break. So yeah, I remember then I told my husband about it later. <laughs> and I sort of almost felt like I needed to confess. At the time, I was like, what is wrong with me, right? Like we talked about this dialogue and I really, was, really wasn't until I talked through it with you, Jen, that I kind of was able to see the bigger picture and, and look at it more objectively of like what, what really was going on for me. And so Luckily, you know, it did result in my husband and I having a conversation about some structural things that needed to change <clears throat> and what I was feeling and needing in the bigger picture. But yeah, those experiences can be really scary if it if it feels out of character and feels like you're out of control and something's like wrong with you. I'm sorry, I'm smiling. I just like you painted such a such a good and anyone that knows you too it is so out of character. And so yeah, I mean there's just with all of it too in hindsight like there's something comical about but I so I want to hear a little bit more if you don't mind about the reaction or the conversation with Sean afterwards you know I'm trying to remember I mean I know I think we kind of made light of it and that's one of his greatest strengths is he's he really can bring humor into anything and then I remember like oh yeah our nanny came over later that day to, to watch the baby. I think I had some clients later that day. And I think I was still kind of stewing in it and definitely feeling some shame and guilt around it and kind of like, okay, what do I, what's happening? What, what's wrong with me type of thought. And I was in, I was in the bedroom, Blake's nursery and our nanny, our wonderful nanny, Andy was over and Sean came in. He, he works from home. So he like popped his head in and he's like, Andy, did you hear what happened this morning? Like, and really kind of like made a joke of it. And at the time, I was annoyed. I'm not going to lie. I was like, really? Like, you're going to put me on blast? Like, we haven't even really processed this yet, you know? But, and, and he, you know, he apologized. To, and Andy's the most non judgmental human in the world. I didn't, she was great about it. But I think then the, the conversation it resulted in later was like, so when did you start punching walls? Like, what's going on, right? And and then I had to really be vulnerable and like kind of force myself to be like, this is a signal that something's not right. And oh, and then I then I ordered a punching bag. That's right. That's where this, this punching bag came into the picture. I told him, I said, I think I really need a, more of an outlet because I, it was too, I wasn't like exercising. I wasn't really like, like I said, doing the normal things that would help me cope with these feelings. And so I was like, I need to get a punching bag. And so I did. I ordered a punching bag and it's in our garage and I, I've used it multiple times since then. But yeah, the conversation was more like, okay, this is a, this is a signal that something's not working. We need to make some structural changes to like make, take some pressure off what I'm feeling in this, in this time. Was that conversation or was your kind of insight at that moment that something needed to change was it 
Was it like more about the kind of the practical, like structurally things need to change? You're overwhelmed. You have too much on your plate. Or was there awareness that, again, like to get to this point, to feel that way also indicates this is the tip of the iceberg that you've been probably suppressing lots of feelings like that constantly that just aren't being expressed with punching walls yet or mm-hmm. are manifesting in all sorts of other ways. Was it that piece or was it more just, again, kind of like the practical, yeah. structural taking things off your plate so you're not overwhelmed? Yeah, I think so. It definitely was more the the like practical piece with Sean. And then later that week, I had a therapy session with my own therapist and I processed it with her. And then we took it that step deeper. And we actually had a conversation around like how anger was was handled in my childhood and how, you know, how all of that comes up for me of this pattern of kind of holding in, holding in bad, quote unquote, bad feelings in order to be a certain version of yourself. Right. And so what really came of that and the deeper level was how this pattern that I have and that I know many, many of us have of holding in our feelings in order to maintain this persona of the loving, nurturing, calm, feminine, soft mother woman causes these these outbursts ultimately and can either either result in us screaming at our kids and harming other people with our words or actions or ourselves by punching a hole in the wall and having bruised knuckles for a week. So that definitely, that deeper piece came in later, but it wasn't what came up for me naturally. I needed, I definitely needed guidance to get there. And I'm curious too, how you got to the point where, because you brought up like the parenting, reparenting earlier and reparenting ourselves. And then the idea of emotional regulation. And certainly that's something that we want to teach and instill in our kids. But instead of focusing on that with yourself, and it sounds like in the conversation with your therapist, instead of focusing on that, you agreed like this is also a needed expression and got the punching bag. So I want to hear more about that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things I remember what my therapist had said in our session was because one of the one of my main triggers and one thing I know that is so hard for all of us moms of toddlers is when they lash out at us physically. So when when my son has these meltdowns and when he's really dysregulated, he does lash out physically. And so I'm sure he had hit me or pulled my hair or something that morning when he was in despair. He was angry. He was he was feeling angry. He was feeling scared. He was feeling sad, like right, all these things. And that was how it it had manifested for him. Then I like hold in my reaction. And then I come upstairs and then I do the same thing to the wall. And so my therapist had really, really pointed that out to me of like, okay, well, you both needed to discharge that energy. And, you know, Reed is learning and you are you're teaching him that it's okay to have that anger and it's okay to have to let that out. But what what can we do instead of hitting somebody, right? And so what can you do instead of punching the wall and possibly putting a hole in the wall or hurting yourself or doing this, having, you know, like waiting until something like that has to happen. And so then I had already ordered the punching bag at the time, but she was like fully endorsing because <laughs> it is okay. Like, 
it's okay to have these feelings. It's okay to have to let them out and to express anger and to and to have those outbursts. Like it's not pretty, right? And so we many of us have probably been taught that it's not pretty to do that. And it's not feminine and it's not how a woman should be, but definitely that just normalizing that like we do need that discharge of that energy in some way or another, whether it's a punching bag or mindful movement or meditating your breath work or taking a really hot shower, holding an ice cube in your hands until it melts, some way to express that energy so it's not like wrecking havoc on your body silently. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we'll, in the future, we'll talk a lot more about like the actual neurochemistry behind when we're using terms like energy there, that there actually is neurotransmitters coursing through the, your brain, cortisol and adrenaline coursing through your body that actually is like a cycle your body is trying to break with those behaviors. But I think another interesting piece that you kind of brought up earlier is not even just the physical discharge, but this behavior is also a very obvious external demonstration of what we're feeling. And did you and your therapist talk about that at all of like, because I think of it as like, gosh, was part of this a cry for help? Or was I like doing this like out of character thing, even though it was in the privacy of my own home, like is part of it, is there any part of it that is like a subconscious cry for help where you're wanting someone else to recognize? Is there a piece of it of, of that there? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And my pride probably wouldn't want to admit that. My ego is like, no, don't say it. But it, it is. I think it is a, that just a mechanism of being seen or getting attention when we feel like we're not getting it in the way we need it. And that's okay to admit, right? Like we need attention to survive. I need to listen to that. But there's a book called A Bright Red Scream. It's by Mary Lee Strong. And this is like another sort of tangent, but so definitely along the same lines. The book is about cutting and like self-mutilation behavior. I use the book a lot with families of adolescents who are cutting or doing self-harming behaviors. But it's a sim it's similar in those situations where a lot of times, not all the time, and it's not always the, the it's not the only reason, but a lot of times it is a cry for help of like, look, see, see how much pain I'm in because I can't find the words to express it or I'm not feeling like you're hearing or seeing how much pain I'm in. And so I'm going to do this thing to help you see it and maybe to like shock you and scare you a little bit into listening. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't know if you can relate to this at all. But in those moments, I always kind of had a little bit of dissociating a little bit where mm -hmm. you kind of like see yourself suffering. And it's almost like this opportunity to step back mm -hmm. and watch yourself suffering. And like, you're almost performing it for yourself in a way it kind of feels like that. I remember feeling like there was something cathartic about like letting myself do that and allowing myself to observe myself having that breakdown. Yeah, there is a purpose to it, right? Everything we do, there's, there's a purpose for no matter how uh, dysfunctional a behavior is, there's always an underlying purpose and an underlying message. And with emotion work in general, but I think for postpartum moms who are experiencing any manifestation of their anxiety, sadness, depression, anger, burnout, whatever it may be, it's looking at these things as a as a compass, right? Of like, okay, where am I at? What is this a signal of what's really going on for me? And, and how can this inform 
what I do next. Yeah, absolutely. We know now part of what's going on here does have to do with those neurochemical and brain changes in postpartum. Well, again, like to backtrack a little, like you and I at the time weren't weren't naming this as a symptom of anxiety, as a symptom of a postpartum mood disorder. We were, you know, calling it kind of a behavioral type of thing, but not really like tying it into that big picture. And so it is interesting to think about this really is a common symptom of anxiety and goes along with postpartum mood and anxiety, actual clinical criteria. And that it's such a good time to be really tuned into some of those, I'd say, like less inhibited kind of behaviors because Mm -hmm. of some of those neurochemical changes and some of what your the way you're operating is with sort of less of a connection between that prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and the way that you're normally operating and sending information and communication between those places of the brain has changed and has weakened. And so we are acting a lot more from some of our um, less inhibited behaviors and and responses. And so really being tuned into that of like, wow, that behavior wasn't necessarily how I would have acted in the past because usually I have a stronger highway between those places in my brain and I might have had the opportunity to regulate that differently. And so looking at those with curiosity that like that came from a place that normally would have had a different neurologic process that kind of would have taken it a different direction. And so it is really a time in our lives that like you get to look at some of your behaviors with some curiosity because it's coming from a different brain than you had before. Okay, so to wrap up this conversation and we'll talk more about kind of the science and biochemical things going on in our next episode, we want to just highlight a couple of things. Yeah, no, totally. And I think what we'd started with before, like why we even categorize this as a topic was because postpartum rage or just the feeling of rage in the postpartum period is such a common sensation and feeling. And that's because it really does have to do with the way your brain and body's changed. And so changes within your brain that are affecting that kind of flight or fight place that you operate from and hormonal changes. And so it's the state your body's in. It's not about self-control. It's not about you, a, a moral or like character flaw. It really is the state that your body's in. You're more prone to, to, to react these ways and to have these feelings. And so one, that's normal. Two, have compassion for yourself or one, have compassion for yourself. And that also, you know, this can be signed. We, we weren't noticing it at the time and calling it this, but these are signs that, you know, you are experiencing normal feelings, but it could also indicate the need for m- more support. And we'll talk a lot more about postpartum mood and anxiety disorders as a clinical diagnosis, but really it's a spectrum. And so the spectrum essentially, like in terms of following under clinical criteria is not about physiology. It's about essentially how impactful it is on your life and the, you know, how persistent the duration of these experiences and all of it is with honest with in a spectrum. And so the idea that, you know, when you're experiencing this, it's normal, but it also is a sign that you need to pay attention to and that there potentially could be an indication for more support and that there is more support out there. But these are absolutely also, you know, treatable or or areas that you can feel better. Yes, 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 absolutely. And then I think the fact that this is something that's happening for you for us because of the state your brain and your body are in also to me highlights why new mothers 
need more support in general and why new mothers should not be expected to be going back to work and functioning at their normal level after six weeks. It just doesn't make sense. That's a whole other conversation, though. But yeah, I think like Jenny put so well, it, these are normal experiences to have. It doesn't mean anything about you as a human being or as a mother or your moral value. And just to be really curious about what's going on for you, be compassionate and and then also seek connection. Kind of those those C, three C, three C's. Seek connection. Share your experiences with somebody, a safe friend, a partner, a therapist, a provider of any kind, because secrecy breeds shame. And the shame is only going to make these issues worse. So if you are experiencing any episodes such as the ones Jen and I shared, do not keep it hidden somewhere deep inside. There's nothing wrong with you and you're not doing something wrong. And share it with somebody safe who can help you process through it and help you get some more support. And in our next portion of this conversation, we will get into more of the science piece of it and the helping you understand what's actually happening in your brain and in your body. And then we will also talk more about strategies for coping and also for communicating about it. But on this finding support piece and, and seeking the connection, we will put in the notes the link to Postpartum Support International for resources you can find for help and support if needed, and as well as our website where we have a list of resources on there. And you all are also welcome to join us on Instagram where we are regularly having these conversations and we will be offering one-on-one -on -one coaching with Dr. Jenny along these lines as well as support group down the road as we continue to grow. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks so much for tuning in with us today. If you enjoyed this episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. Your feedback means the world to us and helps us know which conversations you are needing the most. And we'll keep bringing you new episodes every week. So hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for any links or resources that we mentioned. We're on this journey with you, so be sure to find us on the gram. Plus, go to bloomafterbaby.com and grab our free guides on all things motherhood created just for you. Breathe, be well, and keep growing, mama.